Hi, everybody. And everybody that's worshiping online with us at all of our sites, glad we're together. And if you're a guest today, we know with all of the baptisms that are taking place and perhaps you received an invitation for this series, I just hope that you'll uh, experience this as home and not just simply as a guest that you'll feel really, really welcomed here today. We're talking about relationships and the goal of this series is um, really to bring some clarity to understanding what makes relationships work well and how do you intentionally nurture them and rely on God's help because God gives us the God advantage to help us do relationships as best as we possibly can do them. And we're going to use this model called RAM, the Relationship Attachment Model. It was designed by Dr. John Van Epp, who was with us a couple of weeks ago, did a first introduction to it. And he has created both through um, intensive research and biblical understanding five bonds of relationships that make them work really well. And they relate to knowing, and knowing has to do with the facts that you know about someone. Trust, which has to do um, with the belief in the knowledge that you have of a person. And the relying relates to your dependency, the the kinds of things that you do practically um, to rely on somebody that you trust. The commitment is your degrees of loyalty that you have, and that flexes, it comes and it goes, and then touch, how to find that range of meaningful touch that's helpful and meaningful for everybody. So I want to invite you into two large groups, if you haven't gotten into a small group, that begin this week. John Van Epp is teaching, actually, in these through video. For couples, the book Becoming Better Together, you can pick that up at the book fair today. We want to encourage you to participate in that. It's on the screen in terms of when it's happening. And then for singles, we have two different groups, and you're going to be going through the book How to Avoid Falling in Love with a jerk, best title of a book ever, got it for my daughter, and I said, you know, I really think I have a better picker than you do, and I said, please let me pick the one that you should spend the rest of your life with, and every time, I mean, it's hundreds, she says no every time, so I said, okay, you read this book, and I'll let you pick, so that's the arrangement we have right now. I just want to encourage you to be with us for the whole um, next six weeks as we come together. It's going to be such an important series for us. If you've got vacation plans, just cancel them. (laughs) If you've got a work trip, just quit your job. Forget it. (laughs) Let's just come together and, and be here for this very important series. Please don't quit your job and get back to me on that. But this is the truth. I believe God is going to save some marriages in these six weeks. I believe some of you will renew relationships you have, and some of you are going to get a tool belt around your waist to know how to enter into relationships better than you've ever known before. That's how important it is. So I encourage you to invite others to join you. You'll be part of it during these six weeks as well. Let's jump into it. There are two simple reasons why relationships are so important. The first reason is simply because relationships are the fingerprint of the very essence of God that we are created in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct but interdependently working together. We're created in that image of community. Our American individualism sometimes gets in the way of the communal connection that God intended for us. In fact, we know that everything in creation exists within a relationship system um, where we are depending on one another, distinct and yet interdependent along the way. The second reason why relationships are so important is that relationships are the framework by which we get the very purposes of God. And those fundamental questions of life that you begin asking when you're a young child, who am I, or better said, whose am I, 
It's a different weight to the question. Why am I here and where am I going? And that gets answered by God. And we find that Jesus anchors it in for us in the Gospel of Matthew, these words. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, being Jesus, with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when God created us, relationships were at the core of it, the center of it. And so we find that we are called to love God and to love others, that God made us for relationship. And he wants to be the one who infuses the wisdom to know how to be in relationship. So in the weeks to come, next week specifically, I'm gonna address the question of no. And then with each week, I'm gonna look at one of these words, trust the next week and then rely. But we're gonna see how they ebb and flow together, how they intersect in this series. And yet today's message is about your relationship with God. Because if we're created in the image of God for relationship, then we know we have the God advantage in terms of how we relate to each other when we're in right relationship there. It's not that you can't have a good relationship if you don't have God in your life, but I don't think you can have a great relationship, not the way God envisioned it to be. And if you could choose between good and great, would you rather choose great? That was an interactive. (laughs) Would you rather choose great, (laughs) right? Of course you would. I mean, why settle for good when you can have great? So today is really about an invitation for all of us. Take a next step to grow your faith. Your relationship with God Wherever you might be, all of us get to do that, by the way. None of us have arrived. So that's what today's message is gonna lead and guide us to. And in fact, all of us, most of us at least, grew up declaring and stating our understanding of the importance of relationship by reciting in our faith traditions the Apostles' Creed. How many of you um, recited the Apostles' Creed growing up in your faith traditions? It's what everybody did. Most people are familiar with it at the very least. We think of it as a creedal, Proclamation, it is a relational creed more than a doctrinal creed. So I'm gonna invite you to stand, we're gonna recite it together. I'll put it on the screen because you may have learned it in some different form of language, but here's the essence of it, join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, amen and amen. You may be seated. The longest part of that creed is all about Jesus. That our confession states, I believe Jesus is Lord. And the word Lord has relational implications in terms of our relationship with him. That Christianity is not a general or abstract kind of construct about God. That Christianity is not religion, it is relationship. And at the center of the relationship is a person, and that person is Jesus. 
And so we find that Christianity is not an ism. And so I did a little research, and I Googled. I love Googling. You may have your own search engine, but I Googled ism. That tells you how weird I am. How many of you have ever even thought about Googling ism in your life? And I found that there are 234 political, philosophical belief isms. And Christianity is not socialism. It is not Marxism. It is not communism. It is not Buddhism or Confucianism. And it is not Christianityism, which I made that one up. You won't find that when you Google <laughs> isms. Um, and the reason it's not an ism is because you cannot put Jesus into a box. And that's our inclination. This Jesus, this magnificent person, this Son of God who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings cannot be put in a box. And yet we put him and each other in boxes all the time. People put people in boxes in quite interesting kinds of ways. And this past year, I think we've done more box building than any time I can remember in my life. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you conservative or are you liberal? Are you a pro-vacciner or an anti-vacciner? And I could go on and on, could I not? We have created some great divides in our country because of boxes. And people try to put Christians in a box. When people learn that I'm a Christ follower, that's one thing. But when they learn that I'm a pastor, I'm telling you the boxes come out. And I wish you could be with me, you know, for some of those five-minute interludes when people learn that I'm a pastor and they're making a decision, should I flee from my life? Or... Do I lean in? And I get both and. And when they want to know more, then they're asking me all kinds of questions. What do you believe about this or, or that? And I can almost hear their brain compartmentalizing the box shape they want to put me in in that given moment. And then Christians do a pretty good job of putting Christians in a box. Are you Catholic or Lutheran? Are you Presbyterian or Baptist? Are you fundamentalist or evangelical? Are you you know, Pentecostal or charismatic. <laughs> we always have an attitude about it. We shape our boxes with an attitude. You know, I think a really thoughtful Christian, and I know for me personally, from the very depth of my heart, I want to go, would you please don't put me into a box. I just love Jesus Christ. I want to be sold out for him. I want us to be sold out for Jesus Christ because there's nothing better than having a relationship with him, to know him and to make him known. See, Jesus transcends every box, and Paul described it so beautifully in Ephesians chapter three. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of God in Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ, all the love that God has for us. It's abundant love. Jesus cannot be put in a box, nor his love. He is uncontainable in every way, but can I add, he is knowable in every way. You can know God through faith in Jesus Christ, so you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When I first heard that and as a young adult, I had never heard you get a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was hard-pressed to understand how do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? But that's very much the promise that Scripture gives to us. You can know him. He's knowable. And yet, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, you know what they tried to do? Put him into a box. Are you a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Are you a zealot or an Essene? Are you um, 
sympathizer of Rome or a Zionist. And they pressed him in every way, but because they couldn't put him and fit him into a box, they crucified him. So what is it about us, honestly, that we get so emotional and so upset and so mean and even cruel that we put people in the, if they don't fit into the box that we've created for them, that they could even die. I mean, the reality is they didn't know the revelation of God was coming through Jesus, so they didn't know Jesus was God. Therefore, they didn't trust. It was a very low trust. They, they were skeptical about everything that, that he did. It threatened their power and authority. They would not rely on him in any way, certainly would not be loyal to his cause and what he was seeking to do. But touch, oh yeah, they touched him. Brutally, they abused him. High touch, low knowledge. These things are interdependent. These bonds are very reflective in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ because when you know Jesus, it's a different experience. You find he is infinitely holy and he is boundlessly loving and he's immeasurably wise and he's radically generous. You could never outgive God, and as you get to know him, you see that which impacts your trust capacity in him and your desire to lean into him and to be loyal to him in every possible way. No, these bonds really do impact our relationship with God, not simply just with each other, because we cannot put Jesus into a little human box. He's not containable that way. Our confession states, I believe Jesus is Lord, that you can know him, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life, would have life today and for all eternity. Our confession states, I believe Jesus is Lord. There's relational implications, but also I believe Jesus is Savior. And we get that reminder that he is the one who saves. Every Christmas when we reread the gospel story of Jesus coming, these beautiful words that you find in Matthew's gospel that she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. Jesus saves. Jesus is savior. That's what we confess a relational impact in our relationship with him, but also with each other. And so the question that's obvious from this is what does he actually save us from? And the text tells us it's from sin. And we're quick to put sin in a box and make it about our moral, behavioral kinds of things. But sin at its very core is to miss the mark of God. It's to create a separate place for God and a separate place for us where God isn't invited to be in our life and our journey. And so to get clear about this, I think we want to go back to the beginning in Genesis, back to the Garden of Eden, where there was a perfect knowledge of Jesus, a full trust and, and in God, and in a full trust of him, and a complete reliance, and a commitment of loyalty that was full in every day. That was Eden that we had there, that we enjoyed a perfect harmony with God. We enjoyed a perfect harmony with ourselves, that is how we view ourselves. We enjoyed a perfect harmony with each other in our relationships, and a perfect harmony with nature, and how we got along with nature, and how we coexist together. But what God made got marred by sin, 
And so the harmony of relationship with God and self and others and nature gets broken and distorted. And instead of harmony, our history is one of alienation from God. And that's been our battle zone, that our first parents, Adam and Eve, um, entered into a realm of creating their own space where they could do their own thing, their own way, um, even against the wishes of our Lord. And it put into the pond a stone. When you throw a stone into a pond, you get a ripple effect. And that sin has been a ripple effect from one generation to the next generation to the next generation in terms of how we view God, relate to God, how we view each other and relate to each other, even how we view ourselves and relate to ourselves. And the consequences of sin from which we need to be saved are really clear. So I wanna share four of them, just so we get clear, because this is the foundation that allows us to move forward in the weeks ahead with how we can have the very best relationships with each other. The first consequence is spiritual alienation. Again, we separate God from our own lives. He has his space, I have my space. Or we begin to question whether you can even know God. See, there's a diminishing knowledge when we create our space and we leave God separate from ourselves, so much so in a secular or humanist society, some believe that that's what we're becoming, that we will begin to question whether God even exists, whether Jesus is a myth altogether. It just goes way down, which then impacts everything else, the way we trust, the way we rely. Everything else goes down with that as well. And so we find ourselves in this place of spiritual alienation from Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Wow. They knew God, they lived in harmony with God, and now they're hiding from God, and I think a sick version of hide and seek. (laughs) Hide and seek's a fun game. You can almost see them peering out the trees, and you know, God, are you there? He's not here. But it's not a fun thing. They're not seeking God, they're hiding. They're trying to pull away from God. And I think we all understand that. That is, have you ever hid from God in your life because maybe a fear or because of something you've said or done in your life and your journey, and so you've separated from him in one way or another, or perhaps you've um, displeased him, and you know that you have, as Adam and Eve had done, and therefore you hide because you displeased him, because you can't imagine that if he could see you for who you really are now, that he would ever want to love you. And I think all of us have different stories like that along the way. I can think of one right off the top of my head. First thing that came to my mind is my, my best friend as a kid was my cousin Chuck, who has the same birthday I have. He was one year older, should have been more responsible than me, but hey, this is how it goes sometimes with friends. And we were in South Minneapolis and just having a good time on the street and playing. And uh, we decided to do what really, you know, nine-year-old boys probably shouldn't do. We could have used a little more supervision, I guess. But in this moment, we decided to pick up stones that we found along the street. And we began throwing them at boys across the street. And Chuck threw a stone that hit one of my other friends across the street right in the head, broke his head open, started to bleed profusely. And you know, we did what any good kid would do, ran for our lives. (laughs) And we went to the, the deck, upper deck of my, the porch of my mom's home and hid for hours, afraid what is going to come to us. Would, would my mom clearly love me the same way in light of this horrific reality that my cousin did, by the way, not me. I was just the kind accomplice. <laughs> I'll get to that in a moment, but... You get the thrust here. We start to wonder, why would God want anything to do with me? 
Tim Keller made an astute observation about knowledge and love that's well worth listening to. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. See, innately we worry, if you really know who I am in full, you'll want nothing to do with me, and you certainly won't love me. But can we just take a reality check here? God knows everything. There's nothing you can do to surprise God. And what's so astonishing is that he enters into our relational realm, and he knows us completely, and he loves us entirely. This is the gift of grace. This is what makes it so powerful as fuel for having a right relationship with him and with each other. It's about him and what he provides for us in the journey. The second consequence is psychological alienation, which has to do with our head games, how we view ourselves and our capacity to, in fact, trust. It really impacts our trust when we get so distorted in our head concerning what relationships should be about. And so we read in Genesis 3.10 these words, But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fascinating. We once have harmony with God, and now that harmony is distorted, and where we once felt safety and security and significance, now we feel unsafe, insecure, wondering where our value comes from. It's distorted, our understanding of who we are and who God is, and it becomes a head game that usually spirals in the wrong direction if it's not checked because we find ourselves being exposed, feeling vulnerable, um, naked, you could say, in the front of others, and we spiral down, we begin to deny that we contributed to this given condition that we're in, and then we begin to deflect along the way. If you read the story further in Genesis, you see that Adam says to God, she did it and blames her. It's called the Adam and Eve complex. It's a stone with a ripple effect through the generations. Every time you have that impulse to wanna blame somebody else, maybe to get yourself out of a hole, it goes right back to this moment. It's the ripple effect of sin that wants to blame. But trust, trust means that you can put your confidence in someone. And part of our battle in our relationship with God and each other is trying to discern, can I trust you? And how much am I gonna trust you and rely on you? And how much am I gonna be loyal to you? What's the range of my loyal affection for you in the journey? But Psalm 910 says it this way. Those who know your name, I love this, trust in you. That's a great picture, O Lord. Do not abandon those who search for you. When we're searching for God, because he's pursuing us all the time, he is the great seeker, not us. And when we complement that search, we get to know him and our trust level goes up. So the more that you know him, the more that you'll trust him. And the less that you know him, the more questions you'll have about whether or not you wanna trust him with your life to see if he'll provide for you in your journey. And so we have this high trust picture or this low trust picture of who God is. 
and that may be affected, your high trust, if you have a high trust, it's usually based on the fact that you have high knowledge. You probably were shaped somewhere along the way where your trust picture of God builds with confidence because how he's answered prayer. Build confidence through expectations that get met, um, a joy that you experience, a love that you have. But sometimes we have a low trust picture because we aren't sure we can really know God and therefore we don't trust him in full. I have a non-church friend, a couple weeks ago, I met with him for um, a coffee. We just got together and um, I've known him for many, many years. I love him so much. And I've invited him to come to our worship expression here at Westwood hundreds of times. And I still continue to do that. And he has successfully said no most of the time. But I don't give up. Our friendship is sincere. It's good. I love him very much. And I said, I think this series would be perfect for you. Why don't you come with your wife? And you know what? He said, yes. You gotta ask, friends. You gotta, don't give up on the asking. And so he said, yes, how about your wife? She said, no. Because he's still coming. He's still coming. But she had an experience in her childhood related to the church and spiritual leaders that shaped her view of God and created a low trust factor. And that became the standard by which she would choose to engage in Christian fellowship or churches from the time she was a little girl. And I think God has a response. Let the standard of what is right be me and what I've revealed about myself and not what others say or do. Because our human propensity is to disappoint. But the standard of right is always God. And the amazing thing is that God works in spite of us through the beauty of the church that he created to do his bidding in our lives if we welcome it. So I'm still praying that she'll eventually join us in this given journey. But that's her decision to make. Consequence number three. There's relational alienation, yes, the distance we have with God that then flows into some distance that we have with each other, even people that we really love. And so what happens is we begin to rely on ourselves more than on God. Yep, I'll use this one. <laughs> and our loyalty may go down as well um, in the journey. And here we find this picture of reliance and commitment. And reliance is that action, but we're not willing to take the action because there's an alienation that we feel. We see it in verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the beginning of the clothing industry, <laughs> which has become about capitalism which is about us self-protecting, putting on beautiful clothes to deflect from the reality of what we look like under the clothes. We were really meant to walk the face of the earth naked, but because we can't handle nakedness so well, we cover ourselves. I see this even at weddings when I'm instructing um, the men on the groomsmen as they're standing there. I said, for videos and the videographer, it's better if you just stand with your hands to your side. Is that position comfortable for you? 99% of the time they go, no, this is more comfortable. This is called the fig leaf position. <laughs> and it flows out of this given scene that we have right here. That we find ourselves self-protecting because the shame is high and therefore we cover up and that distance creeps in in our relationship with God and each other. And you see it in your relationships with friends and family members or lovers or uh, companions that you have. Carrie and I, we've been married 40 years. You'd think we'd settle all of these five. We, we would have these things down perfect by now. No, 
We're still working on it. We've been excited for the series as much as you're excited for the series because we're trying to learn. We tend to have this pattern, 40 years, and you think we'd break the pattern, but when there's conflict, when there's an offense that we have toward one another, an unmet expectation, we go soft, not loud. How about you? Do you go loud, kind of let them have it, or do you go soft? We're soft people, and they're loud people, but it plays itself out in voluminous distortion, in disruption, in relationship. And when we're in our car, which tends to be the place for whatever reason we feel it most because we're held captive in that little bubble, you can't escape. And it's silent, it's a deafening silence when there's that offense that's there. She feels it, I feel it, and we're just kind of like living in that horrible moment and then she just looks out the window on her side. (laughs) I'm right there, but it's clear, I have nothing to do with you. And I'm looking straight ahead and just, what choice, I'm driving, I have to look straight ahead. I wanna go this way too. That's not beneficial, but it's almost hilarious to us because we know we're not gonna stay there long. We're gonna burst that bubble. We're gonna break it because we know this is a miserable sort of existence. So how do you burst the bubble? You have to come back in the next weeks. We'll talk about how you do that. (laughs) But reliance diminishes and the commitment wanes when we enter into this space. One of my favorite texts is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it speaks to these five bonds so beautifully. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Oh, we need God to help us. That text tells us what to do, what not to do, and what he will do. What to do. Trust in the Lord. Oh, it has to come up. With all your heart, you'll do that when you know him. Lean not on your own understanding because when you go this direction, it will get in the way of any knowledge or trust that you have here. It's not gonna help you figure out how to move forward. He'll help you figure it out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. You know, this issue of learning to trust is a powerful one for us. And we're on a journey I was a 18 year old when the dots really connected for me. I'm grateful that they connected that early. By the way, I believed in God. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. I didn't have a question um, of that belief and I would even trust him in some measure. But the reality is my reliance behavior was way down here. I was relying on myself. I had a vision for my life. And by the way, it was not to be a pastor of a church. I, I didn't even know how to enter into that world. God would intercept my desires with his desires, but it impacted my loyalty. I was committed to myself, me, myself, and I. So I've used this analogy at Westwood. If you've been here, you've heard me say it, that when I was 18, I came to understand that to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ means you take the hand off the steering wheel of your life, you slide over the passenger seat, and you let him lead your life because you know and you trust he's gonna lead it better than you could do yourself. That's that awakening that takes us to consequence number four. Physical alienation. The earth gets cursed and we die. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. The earth gets cursed. And we're alienated from the physical environment that we live in and also from God himself and his physical touch. And that physical touch is so important, but 
in this physical alienation, we start distorting what meaningful touch is all about. And that distortion can really move to um, complete confusion, where we don't even know what meaningful touch looks like any longer. And it eventually leads to death, this passage is saying, that we die physically, that the wages of sin is death. But the Lord doesn't want us to perish. He says that he wants us to repent, turn to him, know him, trust him, and have life today and for all eternity. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, he comes in a physical body. Isn't that fascinating? This is what some people just go, how can you believe in God? He'd come in a physical body because we are having such a hard time understanding what love looked like. He became like us in physical body so we could finally get it, that God's heart is to touch our lives and transform our lives He brings his son to show the power of touch. So even with his hands, he touches the eyes of the blind and they see and he touches the ear of the deaf and they hear. It's amazing. God designed us um, to have meaningful touch. And we've seen the strain of that during COVID. One of the images first coming out when COVID was being unleashed was an image like this. This is a daughter hugging her father with plastic in between. When I first saw those kinds of images, they, dis- they disturbed me. Did they disturb you? This does not feel right to me. And what's been fascinating, have you experienced this, that since COVID, is, we're kind of coming out of it, that now there's, for many of us, a, a greater freedom to hug? Those hugs are longer and they're more meaningful. We're not taking for granted that we really need touch. And Jesus Christ comes to remove the plastic, to say God's all about touching your life so you feel it and are transformed by it. That's his vision. So what does it mean that Jesus says? Well, Jesus came to heal all of these alienations. That Jesus offers spiritual healing between us and God. He offers psychological healing and and diminishes those noises in our head that can so confuse us. He brings about this beautiful offering of relational healing with each other, and that's where we're gonna go in these weeks ahead, and he offers physical healing between us and nature as we experience his touch. So what God made got marred by sin, but Jesus Christ comes to remake it, and friends, we are on our way back to Eden. That's the hope of this deal. There's an infusion of his presence that moves us in that direction, and we get it when he comes again. But Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We're in this journey of being transformed right now, but we get Eden back. And we get to begin to practice that even now. That's why he died on a cross, to heal us from um, these sin alienations that have disrupted our relationship with him and each other. And at the center of every healing are these three words, Jesus is Lord. And it's full of relational impact. That's our confession. That's our relationship and that's our hope. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be made right in relationship with him and have the resources to be right in relationship with each other. You'll find healing. That's the promise. So I guess the question is, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Not just Savior, but Lord, wherein he's transforming your life today. I have a sense that there are many of you in the teaching of God's word today have sensed that the Spirit of God is speaking to you and you're saying, oh, 
I need relational healing this way with the Lord. But I know I need some relational healing here in how I view myself. And I know I need relationship healing here with each other. And it begins by being in right relationship with him. So the question becomes, would you like to receive that healing? Take a next step to grow your faith. I really believe that for some of you, it's saying yes to Jesus as being your Lord and Savior even today. And for others, it's a renewal. You've been um, off the rail for a while, distant from God, and you're gonna come back in. And for others, it will just be a renewal in relationship with each other. I just think God is gonna do great things in these weeks ahead. But it begins by us saying yes. I think it's a yes for all of us. I'll take a next step to grow in my faith and relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, it's a yes for the first time. Lord Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. Could I invite you to stand as we pray together? Father, um, I just got to confess, I need healing right now in my relationship with you, with myself, with others, with, with the people that mean the most to me. I need your healing touch. So I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. And I receive you as my Savior, the one who heals. I want to know you and to be known, and I want to trust you and to be trusted I want to rely on you and to be relied upon in healthy and whole ways. I want to be committed to you as you are committed to me, faithful always. I want to be touched by you. I want to be healed. I want to be transformed. So in this moment, I and we say yes to follow you. Forgive me of my sin that alienates and give me new life that reverberates love to you and through you to others, to your honor and glory, we pray, amen. Amen.